Welcome to Designing the Robot Revolution. My name is Jacob Magno, and with me I have my co-host David Griffith-Jones. In this episode, we will be discussing an article from McKinsey, and we will be talking about how trends in data will affect our lives going forward. This article sets a a level of aspiration, a a goal for what a data-driven enterprise of 2025 will be. It, It paints what the future uses of data both within an organization and outside of an organization can be in the near future based on technological developments. So McKinsey, Mm -hmm. I'm going to run through, first of all, um, the different characteristics that they describe in the data-driven enterprise of 2025. First of all, I think it's interesting, a good choice of year, 2025. It's not too far off but it really is close enough to focus organizations' attention on where they need to, what they need to be working on right now. Realistically, will organizations get this far in three years? Most of them not. But if you take this as what will the data-driven, the leading data-driven enterprises of 2025 be doing, I think it is a fair estimation of where organizations should be expecting to be in, in just three years. Yeah, just want to add to that. Just looking at the forerunners of digitalization, and I haven't made a deep dive into like MindSphere and stuff like that. But the level that the frontrunners are at is amazing to me. And maybe it's a lot of PR. It's really cool when you look at it. I think that the the frontrunners are just pulling further and further ahead. There's data showing that the organizations that invested in being data-driven five years ago, they're investing even more now. So the gap's becoming even bigger between the leading organizations and the laggards. And so, yeah, I I really do see that the leading organizations really are streets ahead. So McKinsey talks about seven characteristics of the data-driven enterprise in 2025. And of the seven that really stood out to me, the ones were data ecosystem memberships being the norm. And it says today, Data is often siloed, even even within organizations. Whilst data sharing arrangements with external partners and competitors are increasing, they're still uncommon and often limited. But by 2025, large, complex organizations will be using data sharing platforms to facilitate collaboration on data-driven projects both within and between organizations. Data-driven companies actively participate in a data economy that facilitates the pooling of data to create more valuable insights for all members. That is so interesting because there's everyone is not going to be, I'm hesitant to say an equal partner in that, but someone will be driving these initiatives and some companies and organizations are going to benefit from the products that come from this shared data and there's going to be sort of an imbalance between the different stakeholders in terms of companies or even within companies. And that, I think, is something that is crystallizing now and that goes back to the ones that are investing heavily into data now. The ones that are in the forefront have a better position to become sort of the owners of these umbrella initiatives. About owners, and there's this disproportionate 
power or um, benefit from these data sharing platforms. I think the first thing to call out is that it actually specifically, first of all, references sharing within organizations and between organizations. So there's a long way to go in terms of just sharing within organizations and a lot of progress being made there. But when you talk about it between organizations, I think the old fashioned way is to think about it in terms of there being an owner. Mm. In this tr truly integrated uh, future, you, you, you will have different, if you have lots of different partners contributing data, some will contribute more than others in terms of the volume of data. Others will get more value from the consolidated data or different parts they're able to access. But they can all, they can benefit in different ways and at different scales without there being an owner. So although the benefits might not be equal, there could be vast amounts of benefits for different partners that still make it worthwhile contributing to the ecosystem. We need to shift our thinking away from it being an owner. Right. You don't have to be at the top. No, to get the benefit, you could be just a minor contributor, but it actually really benefits you. Yeah. You would assume that the, the motivation and the momentum for establishing these ecosystems will come from the organizations who believe they can get the most value from this consolidation of data. That, that is a natural idea, but I, I think this idea of them leading it isn't necessary so long as there is clear wide benefit for every participant in the ecosystem. Probably you're right. We should more see it as roles, consumers and producers of data. If there's a group of companies that share data heavily and then they benefit heavily, it doesn't really matter inside of that group who's benefiting most. And that's a that's a discussion. It's it's compared to other companies outside of that group that is interesting from a from a competitive standpoint, that's the interesting part. Because if there's one group of companies benefiting heavily, then these other companies are going to see that and either want to join or they want to be able to meet that competitive advantage that this new group has by creating their own. So maybe it doesn't really matter so much within the, the ecosystems. It touches on when you talk about the competitive advantage and what the value is. The, the flip side is, is what the cost is. For this, it sounds great, doesn't it? Oh, we'll have an ecosystem. Everyone can share data. You'll very quickly run into discussions of where is this data stored? How is it extracted? And all of that comes with a cost, mainly to the big cloud providers. So who is going to be paying for the cost of this data storage and processing? Because that has to be incorporated into the business case of doing it. Right. And we're not talking about small amounts of data either. Just logging temperatures in machines. It's not like a machine has a set temperature that is always the same. It fluctuates a little bit. And to what degree do you want to capture that? And to what degree are you okay with? Okay, so within this hour and this hour, we were around, I don't know, 50 degrees Celsius. So, yeah, you, you come into all these concepts of cloud computing and everything. So you, you have to make available only the data that's useful, because otherwise you're just storing and making available huge amounts of data, and then it becomes very costly to sort. But if you were able to expose different parts of data sets to different partners with maybe sample data that could show 
how things could be used. It could become an innovation platform sitting on top of this ecosystem of, of data. But you can't, you, know, you can't minimize the infrastructure and cloud architecture needed to power these data ecosystems. No, but if you have transparency with regards to what data is currently being captured and what data could be captured, and you pair that with essentially each sensor making some decisions on what data to send forward, then you could create new use cases and then ask the sensors to give high resolution data where you need it, as opposed to just having all data uploaded to a cloud service. And yeah, the, the energy cost alone would be unfathomable. And this leads on to one of their other characteristics, sure. particularly when, when you're talking about um, data ecosystems within organizations is, is where I first think of this use, but it also applies to how you're exposing your data to outside of your organization. Data operating models treat data like a product. So it says today, an organization's data function, if one exists outside of IT, manages data using top-down standards, rules, and controls. Data often has no true owner, ensuring it's updated and ready for use in various ways. By 2025, data assets are organized and supported as products, regardless of whether they're used by internal teams or external teams. These data products have dedicated teams or squads aligned against them to embed data security, evolve data engineering, and implement self-service access and analytics tools. Data products continuously evolve in an agile manner to meet the needs of consumers, leveraging data ops and continuous integration and delivery processes. You and I have been speaking about this one for like five years off and on. The, the concept of having master data where you can collect the data you need and you have all the tags and metadata connected to it in order to make good use of that data later along the line. But that seems to me like the, the key thing here, that we're actually getting to a point where it's technically feasible and from a business standpoint, valuable enough to do that work on the data. And then crucially, it takes a product view so that all the work you're doing on the data you're taking it from the perspective of how it's going to be useful and used by internal and external users and developing that access to the data and, and, and what can be done with that data as a squad developing it. And an interesting word, the squad, that often would include developers and designers. Mm. So are you saying that the difference from our perspective, a design perspective, is that we can, together with developers ask for a product improvement in the data that we're using to create other products? I, I think, I think it's, it's a whole different mindset to data, which I think designers can have a, a key role in. If you're treating data like a product, then you will naturally start to think, okay, who is the user of this product? And based on how the data is being used, evolving what access and which analytical tools are provided in order to meet how the consumers of that data are actually using the data that you're the custodian of. So it moves away from an infrastructure project where you're just internally creating 
pipes for all your data to looking at how you create services from that data based on how it's being used. So an effect of this would be the business better being able to manage the data because you have a business value connected to it. Well, the starting point would be in which teams internally and which customers or users of the data externally will find this data useful. How will they want to access it? How will it be used? And you you start from that perspective with data being a product and something useful rather than an IT infrastructure initiative just to get all your data sorted. Who would be the consumer of the data, do you say then? Is it other products or projects? Well, a classic example would be that in an organization, you have currently data sat in your ERP, in your CRM, in your website traffic, um, and other maybe data that your salespeople are, are using. And currently, it's all sat in different parts of the organization. If you had, if you're able to bring that data together, different parts of the organization would make use of this different suite of data. So one team might want to combine product information with, say, sales information or website traffic. The marketing team might be a consumer of that type of information. So you start to build data products for the marketing team, or you might want to provide product information and other contextual information to customers who Again, you start by thinking, how would these different types of data, when combined, be useful to internal people or customers? Right. And that, in turn, would lead to essentially demands being put on the data and the providers of that data to supply that in a satisfactory fashion for these different stakeholders. And it wouldn't really matter if they're internal or external they would still have some accountability and some resources available to them to make that data available. And to make it transparent what data is available so that they can expose these potential use cases for different types of people mm. within the organization or at the customer. It's a sort of a big development. Okay, what's the next one? The um, kind of primary one, I would say, and I'll combine characteristic one and characteristic two together because I think they're essentially the same thing, that data will be embedded in every decision, interaction, and process. So today, organizations often apply data-driven approaches from predictive systems to AI-driven automation sporadically through the organization, leaving value on the table and creating inefficiencies. Many business problems still get solved through traditional approaches and therefore take months or years to resolve. But by 2025, nearly all employees naturally and regularly leverage data to support their work. Rather than defaulting to solving problems by developing lengthy, sometimes multi-year roadmaps, they're empowered to ask how innovative data techniques could resolve challenges in hours, days, or weeks. So data, by making decisions based on data, decisions can be made more quickly. Related to that, the second part talks about the speed of data, that data is going to be processed and delivered in real time. So whereas today, only a fraction of data from connected devices is ingested, processed, queried, and analyzed in real time. Whereas by 2025, 
there will be a vast network of connected devices which gather and transmit data and insights, often in real time. How data is generated, processed, analysed and visualised for end users is dramatically transformed. So not only will more and more decisions in an organisation be based on data, enabling employees to make quicker decisions rather than big roadmaps. You can actually look at the data to inform your decisions and go with that. You will also be able to get more real-time data to make the inputs that you're getting even more insightful. That leaves a really interesting perspective from a designer standpoint. If decisions into development can be made just by looking at data, what will be the role of designers then? Where I think we fit in, or does it, where I think designers fit in, is with these technological improvements, it's going to be much more realistic to have next to real-time data for a whole heap more of circumstances than we are able to today. But that's still going to be expensive and need to be made to, to, to get data close to real-time. So therefore, it's really important that you prioritise use cases where that real-time data will make an actual impact to decisions that are being made. There's far more instances where you could collect real, close to real-time data or real-time data, but is it actually going to be useful? So we, as designers, can help expose use cases where actually having that close to real-time or real-time data makes a big difference. And now you're speaking to the actual product of data, right? Yeah, that is, it is still speaking to the products of data. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I'm also thinking that the products that benefit from that data is also a, an interesting. Is it, do you reckon this change in real time data will change how we create products? I think most of the time, most of the time, you don't need real time data. For most outcomes from data, most use cases will not require real-time data, but some use cases can only exist if there's real-time data. So we'll have more and more use cases and more and more products that are able to incorporate real-time data to make their products more powerful, to be able to do things that you just can't do today because there isn't the real-time data available. So if you would summarize, what would be your takeaway from this article? It's this article sets a, a level of aspiration, a, a goal for what a data-driven enterprise of 2025 will be. It paints what the future uses of data, both within an organization and outside of an organization, can be in the near future based on technological developments. Data is going to become more and more usable and be able to inform decisions, which will speed up how decisions are made within organizations. And by data being seen more as a product which serves internal and external people and organizations, the impact of data can be more and more significant. Yeah, this access to real-time data, it would necessarily transform the, the possibilities that we have to develop products. And it's going to be really interesting to see how product teams and companies cope with that. It's kind of an intense three years that they paint what do you think the implications of. are for companies that can't or won't live up to this? Companies who are unable to take advantage of the potential from having a fit-for-purpose data infrastructure 
will be left behind. Yeah, because they won't be able to address inefficiencies, right? Well, not as effectively as the organizations who can use data. So they can still use the traditional ways of, of addressing inefficiencies. Having automated decisions being made based on the data enables far greater speed. If you also have an integration with your customers, and in an industrial context, you would be able to see how your products are performing, then you could even make adjustments to production real time. That's quite powerful. I would like to circle back to where you think all of this will leave us service designers. How, how will this all affect us? Let's do a thought experiment and let's imagine we are in 2025 and we've clicked our fingers and we have the best imaginable tech infrastructure, the best teams able to develop these data products. So let's imagine we are the leaders of this in 2025. What I see is lots of potential use cases with unclear customer desirability and business viability still. We're actually still overwhelmed by the potential of use cases. And so designers will be really necessary to make sure that investments in data infrastructure are aligned with where there are potential for business viability and customer desirability. And e even if the technology part is solved, actually finding the value is still something that is, is left to be done. But could you also find business needs from the data? Or do you think that still will be up to humans to find these business cases? I guess in 2025, yes. Well, I think the exponential power, the true power of data comes when you're able to have the robots making decisions based on the data rather than having a bottleneck of that data being presented to a human and that human having to make decisions. If you can have automated decision making based on real-time data so that a human doesn't ha actually have to make a decision or only a small number of the decisions that have to be made are referred up to a human, that enables real great speed of development. It, it, it just has to happen. Um, if you look at it and break it down, like because it, it's never as easy as what it seems, is it? But it, you can make it sound simple. Basically, as an organization, you need to get your data house in order and you know there was everyone gets a data lake gets a warehouse get everything into the same into a format that it can be used and combine data and that that's a big project because that's an infrastructure project but once you have that in place you then have to make it exposable and, and open and usable to other teams who might have different data infrastructure so you need it becomes this big what I imagine in the future is that every organization has like, a, you know, one big data warehouse, you know, store, data stored somewhere consistently, but it's, it, it's, it's open and exposed to other parts of the organization to pull that through into whatever system they want. So you have this neutral data layer, which is then pulled into multiple different interfaces, many of which are actually just not being looked at by a human at all, but are being fed into some automated decision. Mm. I mean, just looking at product optimization and an example that could be possible today, if you're producing a good of some sort, I'm going to go with a really high-end robot and you have your data and you actually have data today that is 
accessible and quite high resolution in terms of weather data. And if you have an issue with your machine and you cross-reference it to all kinds of different sources that you have access to through these data cooperatives, and one of the data points is weather, and you see that, oh, we've had problems with these machines coming out of this line, and the only common denominator we have is that the outside temperature was really high that day when it was produced. It's a silly example, but on an aggregate scale, that could be really powerful and only possible if we share our data, if it's something other than weather. Yeah, or, or another example is, think about it in, in use of smart offices in the future, that you could have data from sense from co2 sensors in the rooms from footfall data of who's entering the building of what systems people are using when they're in there of how power's being consumed of what the weather's going to be like of historic data of how busy the office was at different times that you could have the smart office automatically set up so that it's it predicts what the usage of that office will be and has the climate control and the lighting automatically set up for how it's going to be used. So you're essentially creating a completely dynamic office environment because you have access to other data than just the facility data. You have company data from scheduling and historical data from usage of computers and stuff. Yeah, and you could predict or to use a, a service business who is going and maintaining different machines around the world based on the historic data and the real-time data, you can make predictions around what type of work is likely to be required in the next month and arrange your resources to be optimally placed to deliver to that need. So you could you would have predictions on what the likely, or to use a, a cafe example, you you could predict how busy your cafe is going to be at four o'clock this Tuesday, and what the people are likely to order at four o'clock this Tuesday, and make sure you've got the products lined up for that. Yeah, but you could also go in and see how much power you would have to produce in terms of how many would use their laptops and how much coffee is going to be brewed. And you could load balance the grid from having the information from the coffee shop. Or even dynamic pricing based on, you'd know actually how much it's going to cost you to make the coffee today and reflect that in the pricing. <laughs> that would be a very optimized cafe. An extremely optimized cafe. But it's not impossible, right? If you have access to all that data, you could do all kinds of crazy things just from a coffee shop. I think there's a lot of use cases for public sector, public services. So if you are in charge of social care um, and delivering care to the elderly, um, you could make predictions about what type of support and care is needed given the external, for example, weather or other data from the homes that people are in, um, 
you wouldn't have to have, you could have a smarter scheduling. So right now, elderly care is delivered that someone comes comes to your house between seven o'clock and nine o'clock based on how their schedule's been just arbitrarily set out. But you could actually tailor it more so that you know that Mr. Jones gets up early at seven o'clock, whereas Mrs. Jones doesn't get up until nine o'clock and actually have scheduling based on what the known need is. It's actually mind-boggling the, the the possibilities that comes from having access to data, like emergency services. That's such an expensive thing to have for a society. So any optimization for that that makes it better for the caregivers and lowers the costs. Because right now, in the absence of data, you're just forced to have the highest possible bandwidth you can have in order to meet an unknown demand. I mean, this goes. This is true for elderly care as it is for yeah. energy on a network. You just you have you just have you are forced to have as much bandwidth to accommodate the changes. But you could be far more predictive in how you know your service is going to be used and change the provision based to meet demand rather than having idle capacity or not having enough capacity to meet certain peaks that were actually predictable. And if we also have transparency in the data, we can show figures and fact that tells us that we're, we need to put more money into emergency services or we can effectivize this thing here. But you could make it so that nurses and emergency caregivers or elderly caregivers are not as overworked and have more time to do the human aspect because the right people are coming to the right place because we know how to optimize. But it would also give voters a chance based on data to say that, hey, we actually see a demand here for more elderly care workers. It might be that you see that there's certain needs within elderly care that are spiking at certain times. And and right now that supply that demand is being met by a supply of emergency services. Yeah. Whereas in actual fact that demand could be met by more more specialized elderly care, which would mean you wouldn't have to have the cost of the emergency services. You could have that need met by a different type of service, say, such as elderly care. There's another type of I saw a tweet saying that this person, now that his team is working remotely in all these different cities around the world, he would like an application which enables him to see what the weather is like in each of these cities and what the local news stories are so that he can have a conversation with his team about what's relevant to them and also have a feeling for what kind of headspace they're in. Mm. Um, If you're in the Ukraine versus in the United States, you're going to have different types of news, different types of things going on. That same data could be really powerful for a salesperson if they have, say, a thousand people in their potential sales leads. But by using data around different trends or different news stories, it could help them identify which of those thousand it's best to spend your time today talking to based on a prediction of how receptive they might be to a phone call from you that day. Yeah. And you're not wasting people's time because you're not contacting them when they're not interested. Rather, you could bring value by 
being at the right place in the right time for both yourself and your customers. Exactly. Fascinating stuff. What did you say the title of the uh, McKinsey article was? It is The Data-Driven Enterprise of 2025. Cool. And we will link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Designing the Robot Revolution. If you have any thoughts on what we should be talking about next, or if you have an interesting guest that you think we could talk to, please don't hesitate to contact us on LinkedIn. If you just think that this is a great podcast, please share it with your friends. Have a great day. The title song for this podcast is Oregano from Vendela.